Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today. Today, before the end of this year, I wanted to have my dear friend and colleague Alan Steinfeld join me on A Better World. Alan was part of the uh, early days of A Better World and has gone on to do his own show for which he's become very well known. He's doing an awesome job in what he calls new realities. And New Realities is both a radio and television show that is largely about subjects of the interface and exploration of science and spirituality and healing. And Alan has been himself uh, an acupuncturist and involved in the healing arts for many years, as well as in the exploration of all forms of healing and consciousness and spirituality. And uh, he's really become a great spokesperson for these incredibly important domains as we move into the future. And as you know, on A Better World, these are the kinds of voices we really like to bring forward, people who are doing things, are speaking about uh, the creation of a better world and of a new reality and uh, bringing forward a different kind of consciousness on this planet is so obvious that it's long overdue. And it looks like it may actually be part of our planetary DNA to bring it forward and have it brought forward both. Where the actual authorship is of the bringing will be one of the questions that we discuss today on this show. But we are definitely going to be looking at the subject of a shift in consciousness, collective, planetary in nature, and beyond and see where we are with that and what we can do to further midwife this shift from where we are now and where we have been into a new kind of future. So with that, Alan Steinfeld, welcome back to A Better World. Welcome back. Have I been on your show recently? (laughs) You You know what? I just realized that when I did an interview with Drunvalo Melchizedek in October of 1998, why I remember these things, don't ask, but uh, uh, Drunvalo was available for about 20 minutes at the Armenian Church on 34th Street and 2nd Avenue, and I asked you to sit in for the rest of that interview, and uh, we finished it up. I don't remember that. So well. Do you remember that? Yes. So you're walking in the big shoes of Drunvalo. <laughs> I just saw Drunvalo recently in Sedona. He's doing uh, very interesting. He has a huge following with the sacred geometry. Yeah. Of course, everyone thinks he invented sacred geometry and it's been around <laughs> right, for thousands right. of years. But he's still doing his. He's still doing his thing. No, I know. I'm aware. I've, yeah. I didn't see him when I was in Sedona last, but I was invited to a party <clears throat> that was on the tail end of a four-day opening the heart workshop that he had done, uh, offered in the same space that I was doing my intensive writing workshop. So uh, it was good to feel mm. the vibes of all of the Drunvalo, uh students 
It was great. But yeah. Alan, so in yeah. fact, you were on A Better World. But, you know, not just that. You've been, you know, behind the scenes and behind the camera for A Better World for a long time. And, uh, you know, you were just always a really good friend well, and uh, you inspired uh, supporter. me because you weren't actually asking the questions I would ask. So you inspired me. I, I got to get my own show to ask. But I yeah. have been an observer of consciousness like you for the past, what, 30 years? We've been yeah. um, dabbling in all the realms, including Chinese medicine and consciousness and uh, yeah. um, biology. All of the so-called and, classic modalities, classic for us, which are largely Eastern modalities of as you say, we both happen to be acupuncturists. We've both gone through right. the training in Chinese energetics. We're both quite familiar with homeopathy. We're both quite familiar with Ayurvedic medicine and Vedic right. astrology. But, but, yeah. right, but what all this is pointing towards is a shift in how we understand who we are and what the body's about, right? Exactly. That's what exactly. all these things... That's why we're interested in those things, along with a whole, uh, I would say, subculture of, um, of people looking for answers uh, that, that, that aren't provided in the mainstream. And slowly they're emerging that there are other ways of looking at the body. I mean, we're both big fans of Bruce Lipton. We had lunch with him when he was in town yeah. last. And exactly. you know, people like Bruce are presenting the integration of the mind, body, and the spirit. You know, that's what the uh, science of the future looks like. That's, that's what the uh, shift is looking like. It's, it's no longer a question, is there a shift in consciousness? We say there is a shift in consciousness, and what is that about? And what I say is about, exactly. about new realities. And what that means is that we are thinking differently about the nature of reality. Reality is not the same as it was, uh, you know, last year or 20 years ago or 100 years ago. That's right. But, and and one of what the, I mean one of the, uh, is, what No, please go on. Oh, no. I'm just saying what I mean by that, it's not that the world essentially has changed. It's that the, the human potential is making itself available to a broader spectrum of awareness. That's so, I mean. yeah, that's a very good point. Now, wouldn't you also say that uh, a lot of the shift that's taking place is greater access, interestingly, to the scientific languaging of our experience and supporting our intuitions about what is reality, so to speak, in ways that we never had access to before. We were all, because of the bifurcation of spirituality and science many, many moons ago, really in the West, you know, we we kind of got weaned away from our own intuitive knowing. And science, in a sense, is circling back to support our own original thinking. And, you know, Joe Dispenza, Alan, said that, um, so that's, that science is the contemporary language of mysticism. And I, I think that's a really brilliant point because it allows us to be confirmed in our knowing that we have felt for a long time. Like, And let me just circle to one other thing that I know you're working on, although I want to hear you comment on that, is your work, you're uh, beginning to film a project regarding um, indigenous wisdom and the elders across the planet and always a very important subject to me. And in a way, it's interesting that our language is changing, and yet the the knowledge was always known. Could you speak to that? Exactly. Thank you. That's a, that's a very good question and has many parts. First, addressing the, the idea of science is that it was really the quantum revolution that opened the way to consciousness. And they realized in the early experiments of um, quantum physics that the, the observer affected the experiment. So if the yes. observer affected the experiment, then where was the objective reality? And maybe there was no objective reality. And this is what the 
the revolution in science as as well as art in a way. And I mean, abstract painting came in at the same time, and a lot of revolutions of of perception came in at that time. Yes. But we'll just talk about science. And science no longer could be defined as an objective um, measure of the world. It was based on who was looking at it. The collapsing of the wave function meant that our intention was part of the experiment. So the objectivity that science still likes to think it has was thrown out the window and opened the door to the valuing of the subjective experience. So part of this um, new realities is the idea that um, there is no such thing as objective reality. No one can tell you that your experience wasn't true, wasn't right, wasn't real. Although science will, from, you know, old science, Newtonian science will tell you, no, it's impossible to to see what you saw, see a UFO or see a ghost or feel chi even, you know. And, yeah. and the subjective yeah. realities of our experiences are, what we're looking for a greater confirmation, and, and then the quantum physics came along and said, no, your subjective reality is the reality. There is no objective truth, and there's no one to measure it because they have to include themselves in the measurement of it. So that was a huge shift in... Huge. Um, and understanding and of, of, of both understanding and potentiality. At the same, in the same breath, actually, you know. Yeah, uh, you're reminding and, and that me. That gave power back to the individual. It gave That's power right. back to. Um, uh, it realized, first of all, we realized that uh, Western science, the objective reality, hit a dead end. They hit a wall, and they splattered all over that wall, and they couldn't <laughs> put together the pieces again because there were no pieces because Humpty they didn't Dumpty. exist in the first place. So. Yeah. Um, exactly. But wait, wait a minute. But, but to make a distinction, I wanted to make an extinction. How a distinction because it's very. I think it's useful. But first of all, I do want to quote something I'm reminded of in listening to you speak beautifully about the nature of the subjective. Uh, is I studied uh, neurolinguistic programming with its one of its founders, Richard Bandler, many moons ago, and uh, one of the things he used to reference all the time was the primacy of the subjective. And I thought that was such a beautiful way of putting it because it, it, it was empowering for people to begin to trust and enjoy their own sensory experience without saying Why? that it was, in a sense, demoted or lesser than some kind of objective reality. And as you well put it, uh, science did hit a wall, and uh, it found out that there ain't such thing. However, within that, I do want to say this, that Newtonian, the interpretation of reality, according to Newton, and even helped along a bit by Descartes, allowed us to actually materialize amazing technologies like cars, like airplanes, and build uh, the the clock, you know, everything mechanical in the so-called mechanical universe does come to us from that perspective of reality. And that of course, was as you're a phase of our development. We needed to go through. Well, yeah, it's a very useful phase. But I think it's important yeah. to realize that it's a subset and a very useful subset of the larger quantum reality, which is bringing us to a whole new place that you keep pointing toward of a breakthrough in subjective consciousness that is right. going to really kind of uh, kind of um, lift us off, if you will, liberate us from the simple Newtonian perspective. Well, it was uh, when you climb a ladder, you, you go for a rung, and that rung pulls you up, and you know what? You have to let go of that rung if you're going to keep going further. You have to let go of what got you there in order to achieve uh, a higher level. So um, mechanistic, Newtonian, Cartesian um, paradigms, although Newton was a, an alchemist and, and Descartes um, had a vision of an angel, and, and that just sort of set the foundation of something that was different from 
from all of that, just to go back with a little yeah. history, if you if you know that. Right, right, and, right. Um, and so we leaving the mechanistic world of the objective realities, and we're starting to redefine. Well, it's so it's so called objective. It's it's I I would yeah. use the phrase borrowed from Buddhist science and psychology. It's relatively objective, but the point that you're making that we're making is there is no absolute objectivity. There's only relative objectivity in our world. Well, no, but they. This way being the mainstream science is still telling people there's an objective reality. This is how it is. And you know, the mainstream's yeah. always at least 20 or 30 years behind those years, other yeah. people that are at the um, cutting edge. And so, what I'm saying is, and if there is only subjective realities, there's only your idea of what's true, your vision of. Uh, potentiality then what's true well and what's and what uh, measurements do we have to uh, judge who we are by and what I'm saying is there is none there are no um, standards anymore they've gone out the window so and that has to do with one key subject it all comes down to I think about the nature of reality of, of, it, of itself and that's one main science that now has been Let's call it corrupted, um, and and you know what that is, Mitchell. I'm I'm curious. Archaeology. Okay. No, close. No, psychology. psychology <laughs> oh, psychology. Psychology has taken, in the old form, a linear, um, in a way, oh, yes. um, redefine us in objective terms where. Essentially, psychology is a subjective science, but if we go along with the By mainstream, you have to think a, sort, a certain way, and you have to do this, and if you don't, if you don't fit the objective mold of a, of a normal uh, human being, you're thrown in prison, or you're given drugs, and now look at all those kids. I mean, oh, I yes. Well, five or six years old. I would be hyperactive. Sure. I, I don't know what the I mean, I'd be. You know, full oh, of sure. well, awful drugs you're, give Yeah, now. you're talking so, about the co-opting of what is a beautiful study, the study of psyche uh, and psyche. Psyche comes, of course, from the ancient Greek psuche, which means um, sacredness of mind is really what it means. The psyche is also the soul. It's an entirely different perspective than what we refer to as psychology today. Psychology today has been co-opted by both the medical world. So we get, as you were saying, you know, we have these this nomenclature where people are healthy and people are ill, and God knows what we would be considered from that point of view, and it's been co-opted by uh, an economic and a political system. So we're not really right. dealing with psychology we're dealing with a uh, uh, a prostituted corrupted form of it but what you're suggesting is uh, we're restoring and we're upgrading um uh psychology to a non-linear quantum physical reality which interestingly a science i would say neuroscience is actually helping to nourish yes neuroscience is very important to element because it functions on a quantum level but what i also think this renovation of psychology does is take us out of the box of how we're supposed to think the standard yes. mode and it was the psychedelic revolution um that really broke ground i remember timothy leary saying they don't want you to think differently that's the reason lsd is illegal because yes. it makes you think thoughts that you would normally think and people, That's you know, right. get um, disturbed if you're thinking something that they're not thinking. And so the, he called it the thought police was restricting thought, but anyway it's too late for that because the whole idea is... Um, oh yeah, sure, sure, sure. In, in, sure, no, in, like, no, it's, it's out of the genie. It's out of the, it's out yeah. of the bottle. It's God, yeah. Uh, Timothy Leary also uh, in... His research showed that um, another reason that LSD was not was made illegal is because it helped people to question authority, 
and God forbid that should happen. And of course, Robert Anton Wilson in the Cosmic Trigger and his other writings, the Illuminati trilogy, etc., went you know really um, full full tilt on looking at these aspects of the psychedelic experience and how incredibly mind-expanding it was. And No, you're totally but right. I feel like it very much got initiated there. Yeah, no, questioning yes. authority means you're not thinking the way we've been told to think. And what that did was open up the mind to a spiritual revolution saying that, okay, there's more to me than what I've been told to think. And if I have a new thought or if I have certain forms of experience that don't fit in the box, maybe I'm not crazy. So for a long time, people thought they were crazy if they had thoughts that didn't fit into the realm that um, they were supposed to think. But now with the whole advent of, I would call, channeling, which I sort of grew up on, the fact that people can access a non-local consciousness that appears to be separate from their own psyche. I mean, I And you don't mean channel two and four. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean channel you. I mean, the right. um, if, if consciousness is non-local, and what we are, and, you know, according to Bruce Lipton, even, is that we're receivers. And maybe That's we right. can switch our channel and receive a different frequency. And, of course, now the whole near-death experience, uh, which is also a sort yeah. of revolution with people like Evan Alexander, who was a neuroscientist, says he was brain-dead, yet he had experience. So, And, of course, his doctors, his colleagues, you know, he says, oh, you know, it's a phenomenon of the mind and all that. And so what we're coming up against is redefining the um, old paradigm in new ways. You see, in the old paradigm, those experiences were all aspects of the psyche, of the mind. And what the redefinition of that means is, no, we are greater than our mind. The, the, the psyche itself extends beyond the body. And as a oh, matter yes. of fact, one of my favorite quotes, of um, Edgar Casey, he says every you know people questioning is there a life after death and what happens to consciousness. He said the real question is not how much does consciousness survive the the body, but how much does that great consciousness survive the the birth of the body? Means meaning that we're so expanded, not how much that consciousness survives the death of the body. It's how much that expanded consciousness survives. In the body, you see what I mean? Yes. It's like we yes, are do. the vast expanded consciousness. We are the consciousness, and the body is a temporary little blip on the screen of our, you know, eternal existence. Right, but because of the programming of the body, that expanded consciousness has to be contracted and confined. That's right. Delimited. A social reality, and that's the problem a we're box. having, is that we're yeah, breaking exactly. out, and that's what really the work of new realities is about, is breaking out of a socially confined uh, reality, and, and, and what sure. the Supreme talks about this a lot, Joseph Chilton Pierce, that's really, he was a big influence on what I'm really trying to do. Yes, he says, yes, reality cannot be conformed to one per- person's idea, and so that was the crack in the cosmic egg of the book he wrote, in the 1950s, right. is that we are we need to break out of culture. Culture has been our trap. Of course, uh, even Terrence McKenna would say, "Culture is not your friend." You know, <laughs> I love that quote. Yeah, right, I heard it right, right, culture right. is not your friend because culture uh, wants you to be just like everything else. We have to become a cultural, a historical. Um, creative beings whose thoughts don't look like anybody else's if we're going to evolve out of the mess that we created from the limited linear Newtonian mechanistic uh, Darwinian Cartesian paradigm. You know, so we have to do something different. Exactly. We have to step out of that. It's the way Eckhart Tolle would put it is that uh, we are in the stream, our consciousness is spent typically within the stream of time. But when we stop 
in letting our mechanistic mind run the show and become conscious of the present moment, that is a moment, in a sense, really outside of time, outside of that stream. And we become, in a sense, we become forever. We become uh, in touch with our eternal conscious nature at that moment. And we're free from the time-space continuum, which ages mm-hmm. us and which perpetuates a habituated mental state. Let's let everybody know that uh, you are listening to uh, Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m., and this time we're doing a pre-record, so in fact, any of you listening would be hearing it on Monday at 6 p.m. as well. And if you don't yet get our newsletter, which lists all of our shows every week, the TV show at 7 on Mondays, the uh, weekly radio show, Progressive Film Hour with Mitchell Rabin on Tuesdays at 3, and, of course, A Better World at 6 on Wednesdays, get our newsletter. It's free. It's at abetterworld.tv. We love to have you part of a better world community. Um, And my guest today, Alan Steinfeld, has been part of that community for a long time, as I've I've been part of his. And we're talking about the exploration of consciousness and stepping out of the stream of time and looking at the places we may go multidimensionally, accessing different kinds of different types of intelligence as we move along the path of frequencies in our larger, energized, intelligent universe. Alan, it's but a pleasure you know, to have you on that, and to talk. Yes? Yeah, but you, what you just said about stepping out of the stream of time and accessing our, our multidimensional body, that is not new news to human consciousness. That, that is what the indigenous wisdom is all about, and that's why I'm yep. going to Australia in February yes. to to document what the cycle of time. I'm doing a film that, you know, I'm creating called Human Destiny, uh, The Cycle yes. of Time with Robert Lawler, who's a real genius of a human being, a scholar, yes. a mystic. He wrote Sacred Geometry, but he also wrote a book called The Voices of the First Day about Australian Aborigines. And that book was really accepted as... Um, a true document of their history. And they are the oldest continuous civilization on planet Earth. They existed 100,000 years ago in basically the same form that they're in now. And, you know, they were never agriculturists. They knew how to plant, but they were hunters and gatherers because they felt by, by um, you know, planting crops, you were uh, enslaving the Earth and you were enslaved to time. So by wandering and letting their walkabouts direct their their movement, they yes. were able to um, maintain a wisdom that connected them to, back to the earth in a more, uh, I think, integral way. And they, and part of their basic wisdom is saying this world is being dreamed by us, and we have to create. A dream. I mean, behind behind any physical reality is the dream of that reality. And they knew yes. that, and they knew they yes. were outside of time, and they knew that they were just incarnating here to be caretakers of the earth itself. So all Indeed. these new age philosophies that we think are so revolutionary are part of the Native American traditions. Oh the, yes, uh, the sacred traditions that where they and we think these people were primitive, but they're they they weren't primitive. They're very sophisticated um, in their awareness. I mean, I mean, they have the same brains we we have. Their 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 awarenesses are different. They and the key to human destiny, I think, or at least I'm proposing in this film, is to connect us back to indigenous wisdom. It's what Joseph Campbell said. He said it's not technology that's going to save the world. It's intuition. And so yes. I'm starting an yes. Indiegogo campaign. People can go to my website. They could donate money to help uh, sponsor this film on human destiny and this. Beautiful. What's your, give Africa. the website. Give well, the website. So they can go to, right now the Indiegogo campaign will be up on my website this week, but they can go to newrealities.com and make a donation Good. Um, Good. about this upcoming film project. So 
Uh, I think if we return, you see, we're coming to an end of a cycle, right? It's obvious. Yes. And, you know, it's like a circle. You know, a circle ends where it began. That's what makes it a yeah. circle. When we right. come back around to where we started and we're missing the beginning, we don't have a future. But if we come back around and remember the wisdom that these people never forgot, we have a better shot at cycling forward into a new realm, into into maintaining a future, a dreaming future, and not the destruction that this civilization, the destructive path that this civilization seems to be on. You know, I think well, it was... you know, I want to just say that uh, yes. I, I appreciate very much what you're saying, and I'm also doubly pleased to hear of um, your your interest in the indigenous wisdom. Uh, it's something that I've been deeply steeped in, really, from teenagehood when I first actually came across a book with a forward by Marlon Brando on the Native people. He, in fact, he was a major advocate of... Uh, I remember uh, when there was a Native American woman who accepted that? his Academy Award. Remember that? Yeah, exactly. Like, he was a yeah. major advocate, and that very—it wasn't so much that it was him. I, it was the first time I personally became exposed to what were the horrors that were perpetrated on our Native peoples here by uh, U.S. government, blah blah blah. But, but what I got in touch with even you know much more deeply is the, uh, you know, what we could refer to, of course, as indigenous wisdom of them and of peoples across the world. And I spend a lot of my life really looking at and reflecting on that wisdom and how it relates to today's, you know, contemporary modernistic world. In fact, as you know, Alan, I, I brought A Better World in conjunction with an organization, <laughs> folks, that Alan and I are both part of, uh, Fions, the Friends of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, we we uh, co-hosted a gentleman named David Christopher who wrote an utterly beautiful book that I don't think that you really delved into deep, but I would really recommend it called The Holy Universe because it talks exquisitely and very intelligently about the uh, interface and uh, confluence of ancient wisdom and knowing with uh, our modern, western, largely left-hemisphered knowing, and that there really is a a, a rather beautiful place for a marriage between the two to keep each other in balance and harmony. And in other words, enjoy the fruits of each. It's not, and I really like to say this, I, I probably enjoyed the book because I've been saying something like that for a long time. It's not one or the other, but there's some intelligent integration of what we have created because we're indigenous people as well and the ancient wisdom like that the dogon understood and recognized sirius the dog star sirius you know ten thousand years ago how in the world did that happen or as you say about the aborigines they knew they had the intuitive awareness of what the truth was, and no one told them. There was no objective right. science to say it wasn't true. But there is a exactly. science to to intuition, as the SRI remote viewers found out. There's a science. Yes. All these people in the so-called spiritual new age are just discovering what we've already known all along. What we've already known, exactly. I mean, that's why it's a little bit of a yawn for me to see all of these people popping up as though they've come up with uh, you know, the newest thing since sliced bread, and I kind of go, oh, please. You know you know how many thousands of years ago, uh, thousands of but years you're also, late? You also have to acknowledge in a sense that it's okay at least it's different than the mainstream, yes, right? So yes, it is. With, By all uh, means. Uh, By know, all means. And not only that, who are we to yeah. judge who it is that's going to learn what when? Everybody is on their own. You talk about cycles. Everybody is on their own in individuational path, as Jung would call it, and have to make these discoveries of connecting the dots, both linear and nonlinearly. So... 
Mm-hmm. In reality, there's no judgment. It just there's a moment of, you know, finally, thank God, more people are getting that ancient wisdom is uh, real wisdom and intelligence and technology. I mean, just as a funny example that you might appreciate, Alan, I was speaking to somebody about uh, a new battery, a salt water battery that runs in perpetuity. Well, in the same conversation uh, where this inventor was telling me about what he's come up with, he said also in the same breath, by the way, did you know that in ancient uh, Egyptian uh, culture, they had a salt water battery. It's indicated in their hieroglyphs. So, well, you yes, can actually we have a new... see that at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. If you go to the Egyptian wing at the side of the Temple of Dendor, they're holding these things, these hieroglyphic uh, images, are holding these things that look like batteries that are producing an electrical charge. Charge, right. If you go to the side of the temple there at the Met in New York City, you'll see these electrical charges there. And I know everyone says, oh, that's water, but it's obviously not water because they're they're pouring things into something that's not below, but it kind of is off at a distance. Um, Anyway, it's it's evidence that they did have some kind of... um, I would say primitive electrical. They, they were able to manage electricity in some form. Oh, exactly. In some form, you know, and, and, but that you're pointing out a certain you're pointing out a certain kind of hubris of our contemporary society that we are the you know the summit of all that has gone before and on some unconscious level perhaps, but uh, the, to make the discovery that. There have been societies way long ago, like you were saying. I thought the Aborigines went back forty to fifty thousand, but that, that it goes mm-hmm. back a hundred thousand years is just that's is awesome information. Yeah. you know, that's yeah. just incredible. And, but you know, we have it, to really make space for the fact that our ancestors were be they had a certain purity. They didn't have the same pollution and contamination of GMOs and everything else that we have today. You know. Their consciousness was probably clearer. We got got lost in time. We started to chase time. We started to chase this thing of this limited existence. We forgot who we were. We forgot that we were immortal essences that transcend time and space. And once that's forgotten, then, you know, the world is up for grabs and it becomes like a game of greed and not one of um, preservation or ecology at all. It becomes who has the sustainability. Exactly. No, you put it beautifully. It's a clamping down on the time-space. It's a clamping down on the time-space continuum, which has at its base a profound sense of loss, of question of who I am, and of of self-worth. So you no wonder you get the acquisitive, um, materialistic, greed-based societies that we have because nobody knows who they are. They don't identify with their eternal, intelligent nature. That's what I hear you say. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I so think it's a very well-made point. Idea is, you know, I think we are here. I think technology is a good thing. I think within the context of a global civilization, you know, interesting enough, when uh, Marshall McLuhan used the term global village in the 1960s, nobody had any idea what he was talking about. (laughs) Now, it's like, you know, your grandmother down the street knows exactly how to connect to the global village. And so, um, she goes to Google. We are living in a global village. We do have the technology and the resources to, to feed the planet. We have capabilities of free energy. I know you're involved with that. And if we had free energy and we had the um, the freedom to think what we wanted to, then what would be our currency of exchange? What do you think it would be, Mitchell? Uh, frankly, the currency of exchange, 
I, I really think that it would probably be just on the material level, it would be barter. I don't think that we would be what? really using but, but money. Beyond barter, if we, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, in a way it is, I would say creativity, the creative force. Who, what, what is your creativity? What can you share of your creative potential with me that increases yeah. my awareness? I think creativity yeah. is the currency of the future. I mean, in a way it is well, now. Yeah. Creative yeah. people are being yeah. rewarded for their genius. But if everyone had the chance, because everyone is a genius, like Joe Dispenza usually says, but we're all geniuses. We, when we tap into what it is that we are here to create, then the world will evolve even faster. We, we come into a harmony. We come into, I think, a utopian uh, civilization. At least that's my vision. When yeah. We transcend the greed yeah. and the corruption and the objective uh, views of reality and, and let people focus on their individual expressions, it will increase all of us. You know, even the way a good yeah. song or a good movie expands right. our own sense of feeling, if that was the currency, if that was the means of exchange, of expansion, then we live in a whole different world. No, you know, I agree with there. you. This is the you're you're outlining. First of all, just to underscore the point about creativity in exchange and ancient wisdom. You know, part of the Native uh, American perspective has always been that we were all born with a gift. Uh, and that's a gift of really of one form or another of creativity. Some people are really good with their hands. Some people are really good with their minds. Some people are really powerful with their heart. Some people with all of them. You know, some people can sing. Some people dance. Some people create with crafts. Some people farm. What have you? And everyone in the community comes forward with their own creative talents, their own gifts to the total, to the group. And so in that way, I'm just saying that to kind of uh, corroborate your comment about creativity um, and the indigenous wisdom. It comes down to what, you know, someone who's been your teacher recently, Michael Cotton, calls the sixth epoch. And the sixth epoch is this next stage of our evolutionary collective awareness. And it has to do, of course, with opening up the prefrontal cortex so we can access That's those right. creative modes. Well, and, and, and the opening know. up of the prefrontal cortex actually leads to the opening up of the neuroreceptor sites in the heart and the heart chakra, as well as the pineal and pituitary glands. Do you know? Right. It's, and when the heart it, is open, it reaches down it's... deep. Yeah. Yes, Go ahead. the empathy, the feeling capacity exactly. that, Compassion. We, that we have Love. towards each other become the mode of being on the planet itself for exactly. humanity, and then we have exactly. an empathic civilization. Uh, exactly. Civilization and to underscore the other point that keeps showing up here is that that civilization has been here many times before. It's not like the first time. It's like the millionth time, you know? It's just a rediscovery or, as some will refer, a a remembering of those aspects of us that have gone unconscious that are getting activated again. And that brings me to another question that I'd really like to ask you because I know you've spent a good amount of time uh, on doing shows on both your radio and TV shows, Alan, on UFO and uh, extraterrestrial type of intelligence and other kinds of inquiries. From that larger point of view, um, what is your sense of the cycle that we're obviously coming out of a kind of this mechanistic one where everything is linear, etc.? And what do you see as the time frame of our entering the new quantum space, that of the new right. cycle of the higher consciousness? UFOs are, 
That's good. That's a good question. I'm glad you brought that in because I'll be hosting the Contact in the Desert uh, program in Joshua Tree this May. Uh, we had 2,000 people out there looking for ships. Yes. With one of the best, the best speakers. <laughs> we had about uh, 50 speakers, researchers on the UFO phenomena. And, you know, I'll quote John Mack, who was a Harvard psychiatrist, taught at the Harvard School of Psychiatry. You know who John Mack is, right? right? And yeah, he, sure. He um, got into this whole idea of UFO abductions and, and, and ETs, and he said, and then he realized these people who were talking to who uh, had these experiences, they weren't crazy. They were just referencing a reality that was outside the mainstream. So he had this whole right. um, lawsuit. Harvard said, you can't say there are ETs here. And he goes, well... Seems like that's what's going on, and so he would try to get a Harvard tried to fire him. He fought it, he won, and he says in his book he had wrote two books on the subject abduction and also passport to the cosmos. And he says that throughout human history, the idea that we were connected to other beings and other star systems was the majority of the way people thought. It's just in the last hundred years that these um, what we call objective views that say we are the accidental, um, you know, creations of this lonely existence um, is, is how it is. But that is a minority view within the history of human civilization. That is not what goes on, and in, in the indigenous, you know, wisdom knows this. You know, they call it... And understanding, exactly. Exactly. All of the all of the ancient all of the ancient thinkers had like the Taoist cosmology. Oh my God! It reaches deep down and deep into the core of the earth and up toward the heavens to a place that you know it just doesn't stop. I mean, I'm teaching a workshop these days, Alan, called Heaven on Earth seminars uh, a couple times a month, and we deal with look at many of these subjects. So. We're getting more and more in touch with our multidimensional reality and, and, and looking at our looking, looking at our perception and the way it well, operates. What do you mean by multidimensional? What, what do you mean by multidimensional? What I mean by that is that we are simultaneously occupying a physical space, which is essentially a condensed version of the life force, the chi that essentially runs the universe. That is just a form of intelligence. We've concept, it's been concentrated, we have concentrated it down into what we refer to as our physical body. But at the same time, like what has emerged from the beautiful experiences that are reported by people who are about to lose their body in this thing we refer to as death, which, you know, the more you see and the more you learn, the more you see that there is no death whatsoever. I, I've exchanged the word death for disintegration and reintegration, and that's of, a, you know, a bodily sort, but the consciousness continues. Um, we have stories on um, the other side. If, even if you look at uh, Buddhist science and psychology, you see there's this whole notion of the wheel of life and of birth and death. Um, not of life, but of birth and death. And when you see that, that that's just one aspect of the living consciousness, of the great luminosity. You go, whoa, where is it and what is it with which I identify my consciousness with? And we do that, of course, mainly with our bodies. But I believe that there are, when I say multidimensional, we are living in, you know, in a sense, in parallel universes. Mm-hmm. With other with other aspects with other aspects of our consciousness. All right. So you asked me about the timetable, and um, you know, I'll go back to this uh, one of my favorite video, one of my favorite interviews with Bruce Lipton, who I, I that I posted on YouTube that has thousands, tens of thousands of hits called Fractal Evolution, and so yes. he says in this time frame. Uh, in the cycle of evolution, inside time, we go from the one to the many to the one. So he says that, you know, 
cells, individual cells, came together to form colonies of cells, you know, from the single cell. And then from the colony, they became a multicellular organism, so they became a singularity. But they were a many, a many coming together to form a singularity. And then those colonies of cells that became the singularity became organs for more complex cells. So Tissue, so, organ, yep. Yes, organelles. And so yeah. the evolution goes from one to many and back to the one when those many become cohesive and coherent in their communication. So he says yes. we're at this critical point now where these divergent, these diverse um, points of view and these... Um, uh, various forms of humanity are trying to come together to form a colony, a cohesive organ. Yes, indeed. And he says, when we, so it goes from, you know, the single cell to the many cells, the many cells come together to form the organs, the organs come together to then form a multicellular organism. They come together to form communities. These communities form then um cities and then countries. So, so we're at the critical state where we're trying to unify as a planet, right? So we're getting all these many. Yes. Come, and this was a point of epiphany for me when he said, yeah. so yeah. what happens when we become the singularity as a planet? Yes, exactly. Exactly. We hook up with other planetary civilizations to keep progressing on this movement of evolution that goes from the one to the many to the one to the many. Does that make sense? Do you know where I'm getting? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Basically, what you have in Ken Wilber's lingo is a holarchy that it continued, there continues to be increasing complexity as well as, you know, Ilya Prigogine talks about that as well. In, uh, an organization and then a disorganization, you know, a move into chaos, you know, where we could think of it as a move into the void temporarily, and then a step forward into a higher level of intelligent organization of cellular monocellular to multicellular organisms, and it would go from, you could really think of it as from an atom to a molecule to a cell to tissue to an organ to a human being, which is, as you said, and as we both have learned from Bruce, um, a community of cells, of organisms. And then, yes, if all humans became its own singularity, then what's our next step is really what you're pointing at. And Absolutely. When the planet becomes a singularity, it looks for other singularities to merge with. That is there you go. evolution. And when and we you know merge, what you're, when we, right. Yes. No, what was I? No, I was just going to say, then we become a colony inside of another colony, and the process continues infinitely forward. Right, but we're at that <laughs> critical state where are we right. going to come together coherent in a... Cohesive, um, yep. Yeah, cohesive, coherent and cohesive. interactive yeah. place, or are we going to fight each other for yes. um, control, domination, all those things that have been in the way of Western civilization, or do we have a chance? to now let go of our differences and come into a singularity that will then create the colonization, the colonies, the the group mind that will then reach across time and space, particularly space, to reach other civilizations that are already colonized a coherency of their being and thinking into um, a collective awareness so they can merge with what we are emerging out of. And that's oh, the point yes. of history that we're at now. You know, And absolutely. That. And in fact, some of us feel that we can even hear them calling. And they are, how do I put it, both patiently and impatiently waiting 
for us to get our act together so we can get on with the larger universal picture, you know? Right. They are. Some people have heard their calling, absolutely. Yeah. And some yeah, people yeah. have refused to hear the calling or ignored it or didn't fit into their culturally derived paradigm. So the war is what Terrence McKenna is against culture. You know, it's like yeah. we need to break the boundaries of our perception, and that's really why I call my exactly. show New Realities, because yes. reality isn't what it used to be, you know? <laughs> exactly. As Yogi Berra has said, reality isn't, and the future isn't what it used to be either. So, exactly. Listen, Alan, exactly. this has I been completely... <laughs> it's been completely delightful to have you on today and to talk about things that are near and dear to your and my hearts and uh, something that we spent so much time on and continue to uh, collaborate together and in our uh, in our tribe, so to speak, to uh, you know, move I just consciousness want to, leave you another to yogi, another level. Yogi Berra quote. Another Yogi Berra says, "You can learn." Uh, you can observe a lot by just watching. That's what Yogi Berra said. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Alan Steinfeld, thanks so much for being on today and all okay. the good work New you've been doing for a long time. Newrealities.com. And Beautiful. Uh, my YouTube, youtube.com slash newrealities. Look for my Indiegogo campaign about human destiny and the return of ancient wisdom. Uh, I look forward to having you on my show, Mitchell. I'm on BBS Radio Beautiful. as well, Tuesday Beautiful. and Monday nights on Manhattan Cable Channel, exactly. uh, whatever it is now. Okay. Good. Thanks, Mitchell. Right, exactly. Absolutely, Alan. Just really a pleasure. Keep up the great work. It's brilliant. All right. We will. I will see you soon. Thanks having me. That's together. right. Really Very soon. It. You bet. I'll be on your new okay. realities, providing a new reality for new realities. Very soon. Absolutely. Okay, good. Good. Thanks, Thanks for again. everything. Bye-bye now. Uh, okay. Sure. Bye-bye now. Alan Steinfeld, my dear friend and colleague for many, many moons, uh, even before the New Age began, Alan and I were cavorting with each other and uh, stimulating new thought in each other's mind, body, uh, systems. And uh, it continues on. Believe me, it continues on. So thank you all for joining me today. Remember to uh, get on our uh, newsletter in our linear interpretation of reality by going to abetterworld.tv and becoming part of our family, our community, a better world community. And this is the time of giving. This is the time of year. So if you have it in your heart and your wallet to share anything that is affordable to you is of great, great service to us. On our website, there is a donate button. Any amount truly is truly appreciated. It really helps us um, with our interns and all those who are so willing to share their time and their effort and their energy with us so we can continue to bring these shows to you every single week. Now, for those of you who are listening right now, in fact, we are on the cusp of turning to A Better World TV, which is on uh, MNN. Right now, I'll be interviewing. It's actually a classic interview of my interview with Bearheart, a very well-known, wonderful Native American elder talking about such, and I want to invite you to listen in on that, too, if you're with us right now. So on that note, thanks so much for joining me this week, and for those of you who are in New York who would be interested in the Heaven on Earth uh, workshops, contact me at 212-420-0800. We're meeting this Thursday on the uh, 18th and every other Thursday at 7 to 9 p.m. downtown. For details, call that number, 212-420-0800, or uh, email me at mjr at net, mjr at net, where I always love to hear from you anyway, your comments and experiences of our shows. On that note, I thank you again for being part of it. 
and I look forward to seeing you all next